today we are going to have three of the men in the church come and share a little bit uh, with you and then I will wrap that up here uh, at the end and uh, also lest I forget I want to mention we do have a small gift for all of the fathers today and uh, it'll, they'll be available in the foyer at the conclusion of service today so we're going to have uh, John Eaton's going to come followed by Josh Batchelor and then uh, Robert Brown are going to come and share about fathers some probably from personal experience some from the word they're going to come just one after the other and uh, share with you so why don't, as they're getting ready to do that, why don't you be seated and let's welcome John as he comes. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be in church this morning. I um, wanted to go first so that I could uh, get it over. No, um, I want to keep mine short because I want to hear the other two guys, well, three, counting uh, Pastor Blackburn. But um, first of all, growing up, you probably have some good memories and you have some bad memories. Is that correct? Am I the only one that's ever had that? Okay. Um, being a father, we have good memories and we have some bad memories, don't we, of things. I mean, you know... Fatherhood is one thing that you don't get uh, any practice sessions with or anything like that. You know, there's no instruction booklet and so forth, so uh, it's something you learn as you go. And uh, believe me, I've made my share of mistakes. But there are some things that um, um, we, we're, we're proud of, okay? And it's okay to be proud of some things. Um, now, first, the other thing I want to mention is we have uh, in our midst... Um, mothers that are raising their kids alone. And so this is for everyone, not just fathers, okay? Um, but let's be real. As human beings, there's sometimes we come to church even though we don't feel like it. You ever done that? I've done it. You know, I think, oh, I really don't feel like going this morning, but I know I need to go. And also, if you have kids, you think, okay, you know, we've got to be an example. And um, I've got some notes here just to keep me on track because I am really good about chasing uh, squirrels or rabbits or whatever, and so I don't want to get off too far. But, um, um, you know, we, we need to be in church and, and bring our kids to church. That's, that's really important. Now, you say, well, sometimes, especially when the kids get a little older, well, they don't want to go. You know, they think, oh, they have an excuse here. Went through that here a while back with my, uh, my grandson. It was on a Wednesday night, and, and he told his mom he wanted, he's 12, and he wanted to go to a friend's house. And she said, nope, not on Wednesday. This is church night. We're going to church. And so um, it's good to keep that consistency. But um, I'm going to focus this morning on one of my favorite memories uh, that I have as, as a father. Um, when I was growing up, we went to church a lot, okay? Sunday mornings, uh, church, um, well, we went to Sunday morning church, we went to uh, Sunday night church, we went to Wednesday night church, and sometimes we had rallies and all that. Well, when my kids was growing up, it was the same type of thing. And uh, the church we went to when my kids were, were small, um, we were there, I was going to put, I was going to say a, a, an hour and a half to two hours, but it was more like an hour and 45 minutes, maybe to two hours to a little over two hours on, on Sunday morning. Guess what? On Sunday night, it was uh, between probably an hour and a half and two hours also. And so, and Wednesday night wasn't quite as bad, our midweek service. But anyway, it was something that, uh, you know, you, you just, you're in, you're in church, which is a good thing. Um, um, my favorite part that I can remember with my kids in church was taking my kids to the altar. And that's what I want to focus on for just a couple minutes here this morning. Taking your kids to the altar. Yeah, you bring them to church, that's all well and good. Be a good example, get them uh, thinking, okay, church is important.
but the altar is a special place. And I remember from the time that uh, my kids were little, I would, I would carry my son up uh, to the altar, uh, especially on Sunday nights when we had an altar call and so forth. Well, uh, you know, toward the end, well, everybody would come up to the altar and, and, and just pray and so forth. And, and my son was uh, the youngest, um, and I would, I would carry him, and we'd go forward, and my daughter a lot of times standing right by my side, you know, uh, hugging on to me, you know, while we were at the altar. But what I wanted to do is let them know the altar is important. And also, it's not a bad place. The altar, coming around the altar, uh, if we can teach our kids that it's a good place, um, it's a place where we meet God. It's a place where we draw close to God. It's a, a, a place of worship and, and corporate worship and corporate prayer. And it's all um, um, just very, very, very uh, important that they learn that at an early age. So my, my main focus is bring your kids to the altar. Come to the altar. Bring your kids to the altar. How many times in, in the Bible... Is it, does it talk about an altar and the importance uh, of an altar and how they, uh, in the Old Testament especially, how they went into a new area. And the, one of the first things they did was they established an altar. And we need to establish an altar with our kids. And we have a, an altar right here at church. Uh, so, you know, when, when uh, you can, don't, don't just sit back because you have kids. Bring your kids to the altar. Teach them that that's a good, holy place a good place to connect with God. God bless you. Amen. God is good, is he not? Uh, I am blessed in that I had a godly father. Um, some of you know my history. Some of you don't. Three months, I get this wrong, but three months before or after I was born, my dad started a church in a part of the world he'd never really spent any time in. Uh, he moved up to New Hampshire, and uh, he and my mom... And they started a church in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. In a, uh, at first they were doing in-home um, or in apartment or wherever that is they happened to live at the time, ministry. And then as that grew, they eventually had a storefront, grew a church, built a building. And then when I went to college, we moved to Tennessee, or they moved to Tennessee. And I guess I kind of went with them, although I was at the college most of the time the next 10 years as I both went to college and then worked at the college. But I was very blessed to have a, a father that loved God and was serving God and was always pursuing the work of God. It's a little bit of an interesting dynamic, though, because if your father is also a minister, and especially a pastor, he's your father, but he's also investing in a lot of other people's lives. He doesn't have a nine-to-five that he comes home from. The hours just aren't like that, right? And I say that on one hand, yet a lot of people experience the same thing because they have a father that has their work time, and then do they come home and invest in their children or not? Some do and some don't. The best fathers are the fathers that invest in their children. They're the fathers that spend time with their children, spend time also with their spouse, and make sure that they nurture that environment. It's one of the things I always strive for is I want to be able to be there for my daughter. I only have one. Uh, we had several miscarriages, and so that is what God gave us. But I've got one shot to make my daughter have a good father. I have one shot to invest in my daughter for the rest of her life and to help shape her and guide her so that she will serve the Lord and that she will live well. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. It's one of my key roles on this earth. Yes, I'm called to be a minister, and I do ministry, Yes, I'm called to provide for my family, and I spend time providing for my family, but I'm also called to invest in my child. And I take that calling seriously. It is a calling from God just as much as any other. 
At the same time, God also warns me to do that well. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is, as a father, I am to lead and to guide. But I also need to be careful that I'm not simply forcing in a way that is counterproductive. Right? We have children sometimes, or we see children sometimes, where the parents have have tried to put them so much into a bottle that they couldn't, that when as soon as they came out from underneath their protection, they just go nuts. So if I'm to lead well, I need to find out how my daughter learns. For those that don't know, I am an introvert. Mostly an introvert, which just seems strange for someone who also winds up getting on a platform and speaking to people for uh, a period of my life. But I'm an introvert, and my daughter, in case anyone doesn't know, and I doubt there's anyone in the building that doesn't, is not an introvert. In a lot of ways, she's similar to me, but in a lot of ways, she's very different. And so as a father, I have to spend the time with my daughter, loving her and getting to know her so that I can know how to lead her. I can't simply tell her what to do, but I need to know who she is so I can figure out how to guide her and to develop her into the woman that God wants her to be. That takes time. That takes love. That takes patience. But that's extremely important. And the reality is that God is doing the exact same thing with me. I am not the same person as Bill. I am not the same person as Brother Blackburn or Terry or any other person in the church. God interacts with me in a way where he's showing me that he loves me. 2 Corinthians 6.18 And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. It's amazing to think that the God of the universe is taking the time to invest in me, to develop me, to be the man of God that he wants me to be. And I need to watch that example through the Bible and through his own patience with me so I can turn that around to minister to, to love my own daughter. It's an important calling to be a father. Amen? God is good. Praise the Lord. How you doing? Get my notes out. First, I want to say thank you to the pastor, Blackburn, for giving the opportunity to stand before you today on Father's Day. And also for the Cross family and Brother Eaton who uh, contacted me with an opportunity to speak, and I appreciate that so very much. And then I want to say, just starting out, happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here. If I had opportunities to leave a few words with you, my thought would be very briefly, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? are you. In Genesis, that that is the Genesis account of creation, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the sixth day, he went and he created man. And when he created man, he gave man complete dominion over all that he created. And there's nothing more that symbolizes God's commitment to man than when God gave man complete dominion. God loved man so much, he gave Adam dominion over all that he had created. And beyond that, what God did, he loved Adam so much, he wanted to commune with Adam. Commune, meaning that he wanted to have a relationship with Adam. The man that he created, he wanted to have a relationship. So what did God do? God went and he met Adam every day in the garden. Can you think about that today in 2021 when 
God wants to fellowship with you and God wants to commune with you and he's ready to meet you every day of your life. For one reason, he wants to draw close to you and he wants you to draw close to him. He wanted a relationship with you. And with you is a man because at that point in time, there was no one else to have a relationship with but Adam. Because Eve was not yet formed. God was building a trusting, enduring relationship with one man called Adam. Later, God established several institutional pillars as he built the framework of human society. Listen to this. Of that framework that God created, those four pillars were worship, marriage, family, and justice. It's amazing. Uh, it takes me two or three minutes to get to this and be done with it. Worship, marriage, family, and justice. Amen? Then in Genesis 3 and 3, but in doing so, he commanded Adam, he charged Adam with one overarching responsibility. He said, Adam, of all that I've created, of all the dominion that I've given to you, the one thing I don't want you to do, Adam, is I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is open, Adam. Everything else you have dominion, but I, I want you to pay attention, Adam. Do not eat of that one tree. He didn't tell Eve that because Eve wasn't there. Adam, where are you? That one commandment was later expanded to be ten commandments. God took one commandment, don't do. God then does more of that hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, couple, and he created the Ten Commandments based on that one commandment. Obedience. Don't do something, Adam. Don't do it. In Genesis 3 and 6, but in the process of time, Adam's wife, she was deceived by the serpent. She decided that she would go to the garden. She would get amongst those trees. She decided that she would go there and she would take a bite herself. Adam was not too far distant from her, but she took of that apple, that tree, that fruit, and she bit it and she ate it. And then she had the audacity because she loved her husband so much. She went to him and she showed him that fruit. We may call it an apple, but we really don't know. But she gave him that fruit. And she says, honey, try this. Look at me. I'm fine. Nothing's happened. And Adam, in his wisdom, decided to do what? To take a, a bite of that apple. He decided to do the one thing God told him not to do. Adam did it. Adam, where are you? Why is Adam disobeying what God told him not to do? Why is Adam allowing his wife to do what God told him not to do? God never spoke to Eve. She never had that responsibility. Adam had that responsibility as the head of his family. Men, we had that responsibility. We are Adam-like. We had that core of responsibilities to be the head of the family, to be responsible, and God says don't do, then you need to man up and don't do. Give me a few more minutes. 
Man up and don't do it. You know, at the cradle of salvation, the cradle of serotology, the study of salvation, this critical inflection point represents original sin. We talk about original sin as a doctrine. And that doctrine of sin, original sin, salvation starts at this point. Because God is going to act on what Adam did in order to redeem us. And the burden of original sin lies directly at the feet of Adam. It laid nowhere else. It laid upon the person who God had charged to carry out his commitment. Don't eat of the fruit. Don't eat of that tree in the, in the garden. This momentous failure by Adam's leadership to his family it created a breach between God and man. This created a problem. God wanted communion with man. Adam did what God said don't do. Now there's a breach between God and man where God would come down and talk with Adam. He never had that direct communication, never again, because of Adam. Because of Adam. And today we are deeply plagued by the silence of Adam. Today we are deeply plagued by the absence of Adam to stand up, Adam, man up, Adam, be the man that I called you to be. In Genesis 3 and 9, it's within the context of failure that God called out to Adam. They had ate of that fruit. They were naked. God, in the cool of the day, calls out, and he called out, Adam, Adam, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Adam? God knew exactly where he was. God knew the coordinates where he was. God knew the physicality was. God knew the GPS. God knew everything about Adam. But yet he called out, Adam, where are you? You hear me, don't you? It's Father's Day. Adam, we are the modern-day Adam. Every day when you look in the mirror, you're not looking at just you. You are looking at the prototype, Adam. And our sincere responsibility is to hold God's word true. Amen? A couple more minutes. When God called out to Adam, it wasn't about physicality but it was about spirituality. Since God knows all, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he knows all, he is all, what was the whole issue? Adam, you have broken our bond, our relationship. You have broken that bond in that relationship. Adam's failure has disrupted all four of those pillars, all four of those pillars, all four of those pillars that we had mentioned, Adam had now disrupted those. And the consequence of that disruption is a, a troubling of society. Worship, marriage, family, injustice. This is such a critical takeaway because at the heart of being a good husband, a good father is first predicated that you be committed to follow God. You cannot be a good husband. You cannot be a good father. You cannot be a good leader if you first don't bow down and follow God. You got to bow down. You got to humble yourself. 
You've got to realize that's the great I am greater than you in you. And he's there for one purpose, to lead you, to guide you, that you won't be lost in the journey of life. As I wrap up, the downstream ripple effect of marriage, on marriage, on family, in society, has impacted every culture around the world today. The impact on worship, the impact on marriage, the impact on family, the impact on justice. You don't have to look far at all. It has rampled to society across the globe, but nowhere more glaring than right here in the United States of America. Today we are witnessing a moral breakdown in the fabric of society. And the reason why we have that moral breakdown is because we've lost the abilities of Adams to stand up. We've lost that abilities to honor God through a committed lifestyle and to raise our families like the previous spokesperson were saying. And that caused a breakdown in the fabric of our society. In the last few words, remember this. Think about this. What we see today is a deliberate destruction of the binary gender identity. It's right out there in front of us. Binary gender identity. Next, we see a redefining of marriage. You see it every day. You read about it every day. It's here, right before us. You also see the dismantling of the nuclear family. No longer does it need to be between a man and a woman, but it could be between a man and a man, a woman and a woman, a woman's children. It could be a couple. It could be with animals. It's perverted. Why? Because Adam has failed to stand up. You also see it in the encroachment of free speech. And lastly, you see it in the restraining of our religious liberties. You see it. And every time we see that, we should ask ourselves, brothers, on Father's Day, the perfect day to hear a simple message like this. It is Father's Day. And we all have a Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father loves us. And he wants us to be empowered with the authority to be good fathers, good leaders, that we won't be impacted by the things that we see today. Can you just think with me for a moment? God cries out, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Say it again to yourself because you are the Adam. When he called out this time, put your name in there. Robert, where are you? Robert, where are you? Brothers and sisters, uh, thank you for the time to speak. It is Father's Day, and with that message in terms of, Adam, where are you? We hope to inspire you to be the best husband's the best fathers, the best citizenships, and the best children of God that you can be. God bless you. I will give all of our speakers a hand this morning. Thank you. I guess I won't preach my 40-minute message. Just kidding. Uh, in fact, to give you even more hope, I'm going to have them go ahead and come and, and uh, have Reagan play some background music. And I don't know if you noticed this in church, but music makes everything feel more spiritual. So we'll have her do that. I'm, and I'm going to be real brief, but, but thank you once again all of our, our speakers today and for those strong admonishments to be the husbands, fathers, men that God has called us to be. And uh, I am grateful that my father uh, 
I had a good father growing up and a lot of good memories. And when we get together, we laugh. I think it's just it's what we do. It doesn't even have to be funny, and we just laugh, the whole family. And, uh, and so I was able to be with my dad uh, down in Branson during the middle of May. And I'm thankful for that time together. I, I'm going to briefly just do a little thing. Uh, Brother Brown mentioned God is our Heavenly Father, and so instead of talking about our earthly father, I do want to talk about the fatherhood of God just briefly. When you see in the Old Testament, you do see God referred to as Father in numerous ways, not near as often as you do in the New Testament, where the the fatherhood or that title of Father is uh, very apparent and seems like it's on every page of the Gospels to some extent. In the Old Testament, it was occasionally that God was referred to as the creator of all and that we were his children because he was our creator, but there are specific times and maybe more commonly he was referred to as father of Israel, as the savior of Israel. Jeremiah 31, he says, for I am a father to Israel, or Isaiah 64, 8, O Lord, thou art our father, the writer says, or again in Isaiah 63, doubtless thou art our father, O Lord, speaking of Israel, you are our redeemer. Deuteronomy 32, O Lord, is not he thy father? Or Jeremiah 3, thou shalt call me father, God says. Or Malachi 1, 6, if then I be a father, where is mine honor? Malachi 2.10, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Do you see this variety of God being referred to as Father? But as I mentioned, when we get to the New Testament, that language of Father intensifies. And part of the reason that it is so much greater in volume and intensity in the New Testament is because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that, that God, the one God of the universe, comes down in human And because he's now in human form, he doesn't cease to be everywhere present at the same time. And that incarnation, or Jesus Christ as we call him, he is the only begotten son of Father. Father being that omnipresent spirit of God that is everywhere. And so you see this interaction between that union of human and divine that's walking around in the form of Jesus Christ and as he's talking to God and he refers to him as Father over and over. But then the Bible says that when we come to God, we become sons of God or children of God. The Bible does use that masculine language of sons of God, but it is, of course, not just referencing those of us who are male, but it is all of us. We are children of God. When we come to him, we receive the spirit of adoption where we are grafted into his family. We are adopted into his family. We then are prepared to receive an inheritance. That inheritance that we we receive is to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit that, that Jesus promised over and over in the Gospel of John and that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it is just the down payment, or as Paul would say, it is the earnest of our inheritance. It's just a little foretaste of what we're going to be and what we're going to receive when we spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven. Jesus, in one of his references to God as Father, John 14, said this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The King James uses the word mansion. It's not really the best translation, but when you're thinking about heaven, it's, it's going to be grand and glorious. And so the translators of King James do that word. In my Father's house are many mansions. But more specifically, there are many dwelling places. The ESV says there are many rooms or places for us to live. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He uses this language of father here, not just of 
his heavenly father in that sense that God is our heavenly father, but he's using the cultural language of the patriarchal system of the day in Israel that, and I mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago, that the the father would have his extended family would all live in one place under one household, one roof, that that the children and their grandchildren, and then as people got married, they would all live in this father's house, as it was referred to. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, in my father's house, there's a lot of room. There's plenty of room for everybody to come and, and to call him father and to live with him and to allow him to take care of them and to be everything that they need him to be. And normally in, in referencing this passage, my focus would be on making sure that you're prepared to go to the Father's house, that you're prepared to enter the Father's house. We see Jesus in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. He said, when Nicodemus says, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus responded, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? And Jesus says, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. You must be born, he says, of the water and of the Spirit. Speaking of baptism, by immersion in the name of Jesus, as we see play out, and you must be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence and speaking in other tongues. And normally, that would be my focus you who are here today and if you have not been baptized you've not been filled with the spirit god wants to do that today and i'm excited we have one that's going to be baptized today we're thankful for that but my question really for you today is not whether you have done what you needed to enter into the father's house but Maybe more specifically, ask this question. Is there still room in the Father's house? Now, I know that, that God knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everybody from all time who will be saved. And consequently, because he knows all of that that he prepares ahead of time he has everything prepared like it should be the Bible says that hell hath enlarged herself because of the abundance of people who are going there and knowing that God knows all things I don't think I don't know that he needs to enlarge heaven because he knows everybody who's going but imagine with me if God doesn't know and he builds this grand place for you and I that we call heaven where Jesus referred to it in John 14 as the father's house in my father's house there are many dwelling places my question is helping somebody else take up room in the Father's house. This Father's Day, we call Him Father. Not just our earthly fathers, but we call Him Father. How many more people need to call Him Father as well? That will only be able to do it because we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them so that they too can call Him Father and they too can take up room in the Father's house. If you've been around here, probably doesn't, for any length of time, it probably doesn't surprise you that find a way to make Father's Day evangelistic about our need to evangelize and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, we're going to be husband, the father, and all that Brother Brown talked about that we need to be, part of that is 
not only what John talked about of making sure that our kids are in the Father's house. And I don't mean just in this building, but I mean in the kingdom of God. Not only just that, but making sure everybody we can, we invite them to be part of the Father's house. We invite them to be part of the Father's family. Would you stand together? Father's Day, of course, is a day of celebrating our dads. Celebrating each of us who are fathers. Celebrating the fact that we are fathers. Paul said this, I have no greater joy. These kids walk in truth. These people would walk in truth. There's no greater joy you will have in your life if you're a father to make sure that your kids walk in truth. And for Paul, and when he's writing this, he's writing this in the context of spiritually. He calls Timothy his son in the gospel that he's walking in truth. That we bring others to truth that they too can walk in truth and call Jesus his father today. My heart is continually burden for the need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I listen to hours of podcasts a week probably as I do various things. Some are just about church structure and, and doing ministry. But the majority of what I listen to are how to make disciples and how to reach people. It is our number one task to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful that you call Jesus, you call God Father today? Anybody have someone else that you know that you want them to be able to call him fathers as well? Not just Father in creation, not just that he's created us all, and so we can all call him Father in that sense. But is there somebody you know needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ so they too can call him Father today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done in our lives. Thank you that we God can call you Father not just in the sense that you created us but we can call you Father in salvation that we are children Thank you, Lord, that you are equipping and empowering us to, to be the children that you want us to be, the children of God you want us to be, and that you're going to equip us and empower us to be the husbands, the fathers, the men that you want us to be. And for the ladies present here today, Lord, you have empowered and equipped them to, to be part of your kingdom, that they have a role that no one else can play. But I pray today that you would help us to not be satisfied that we call you Father. Not just be satisfied that maybe our children or our grandchildren call you Father. But how many more people do you want us to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ that they too can call you Father. That next year when they celebrate Father's Day, it's more than just that earthly celebration, but it's a spiritual celebration of who you are and who they are in you. They too would become children of God. We call you God. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 1140, a little later than intended today. So, We'll have you, if, if you're free to uh, stick around for baptism, that would be awesome. If you uh, need to go, we understand a lot of people are celebrating today and spending time with their dads and have a lot of plans. Thank you for being here. Thank you for celebrating Father's Day with us. Let's go and have a great week in Jesus' name. But if you're able to stay, hopefully in just a few minutes we'll get this, uh, have this baptism and you can uh, celebrate that as well. God bless you. Greet one another in Jesus' name.
We're so happy today to be uh, baptizing Amber in the name of Jesus. And uh, we're glad Amber and Steve and Liv have become part of the Cross Church family. And uh, Amber and I, we did a Bible study and uh, finished it up, I guess, the end of April, 1st of May. And they've been busy and been unable to be here. But she told me the next time she came, she was ready to be baptized. So we're so happy that, that she's here today excited about what God is going to do in her life, in Steve's life, and in Liv's life as well. And so why don't we pray before we baptize Amber, uh, that God would continue to be at work. Lord, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your work, Lord, and Amber today. I thank you, Lord, that you are continually drawing her to you, that you have great plans for her, things that you want to do in her life, ways that you want to use her for your Lord, I thank you that she's taking this step of baptism, Lord, making that declaration that she's following you. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to wash away her sins in the waters of baptism today as she takes on the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amber, on the profession of your faith, obedience to our Lord's command, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Amen. Let's celebrate with her. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you. just a first step of what God wants to do in her life as he fills her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Anybody else have been baptized? Need to be baptized? God bless you. Thank you. The water is actually really warm. I'm going to jump in here. So. <laughs> Alright, God bless you. Thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for celebrating with Amber. Thank you for celebrating Father's Day.